Well, I haven't said this yet, but happy Labor Day weekend, all. Hope you have grand plans for the th- thunderstorms on Labor Day coming in. Have you, and we kind of talked about this with the kids, but have you ever noticed how Labor Day does really feel like it's that official transition from summer into fall, right? At least in our, in our family, that transition is sort of around Idlewild's schedule, right? When they officially close, I think, after Labor Day, when it's like, all right, summer's over. We can't go to Idlewild anymore as a kid, for the kids. And so whenever we're making that transition of anything, and you might notice this, speaking of transitions, whenever we're going through any transition, summer to fall, for example, don't we all, as human beings, we have this tendency to be looking forward with hope, hoping for something to happen in whatever it is that we're transitioning into, right? So you transition to the school year. The school year begins, and, and maybe you're hoping for new things. Maybe you're hoping that you get to sit, sit next to that certain somebody, you know, at the, in the cafeteria or the classroom. Or maybe you're hoping that your child really kind of is able to improve their grades in whatever, the situ, whatever class or subject that might be. We're transitioning to football season, everybody. You ready? You excited for that? And maybe you're hoping that Kenny Pickett gets some playing time for the Steelers this fall. Or you're hoping that the Jeanette Jayhawks football team has a better record than they did last year, right? As we're transitioning to just the season of fall, right? It's coming up. We're almost there. I know it was hot yesterday, but we're getting to fall, right? What do we start hoping for when we think of fall? How many of you are hoping to go apple picking this, this season? How many of you are hoping to, to have pumpkin-flavored everything this season, right? You're, you're, you're hoping. You're looking forward with things. Well, it's... Whether it's during a life transition, a transition of any sort or not, there's all things that we hope for. But let me ask you a question. What is hope? What do we actually mean when we use that word hope? What is hope and what does the Bible have to say about hope? Because I'm sure that many of us can think of reasons why we all need hope in our lives. Some of us might feel overwhelmed with fear and anxiety Our future seems bleak, and we can't see a way forward. We need hope. Some of of you might be angry and resentful about something right now. Maybe your relationships in your life are falling apart, and you have no idea what to do about it. You need hope. Some of us are, some of you are worn out and exhausted, and you just need something in your life to change, but no change seems to be in sight. What do you need? You need hope. Well, you know, plenty of people in the Bible had those types of experiences and feelings as well. You know, in fact, in the Bible, there's this entire book called Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible. And the book of Psalms is a collection of prayers Prayers that real people going through real things in their lives wrote down thousands of years ago. And God speaks to us today through those prayers that we still have in our Bible, through the book of Psalms. And today we're going to take a look briefly at one of those prayers, one of those psalms, where the author of that psalm is crying out to God for hope. We're going to take a look at Psalm 42. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, pull this out, Psalm 42. I'm not going to be reading the entire psalm. We're going to take a look primarily at just the the first five verses of Psalm 42. But as I read this, I want you to hear in the, the words of the author of this psalm, the longing for hope. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, 
So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm going to stop there, those first five verses. We're just going to take a look at those first five verses of Psalm 42. Did you hear that last, that last phrase there? Put your hope in God. God. The psalmist almost preaching to himself. Now, did you hear some of the things just in those opening verses? And, and, you know, read the rest of the psalm on your own to see some of these other things. The, The things that the author of Psalm 42 is struggling with. I wonder how many of us can relate to some of these things, okay? That very opening line, my soul thirsts for God. Any of you ever felt spiritually dry? Felt like you've been going through the motions when it comes to your relationship with God? My, I'm, I'm, My soul thirsts for God, right? You're spiritually dry. How many of you have just experienced deep, deep sadness? A sadness you don't even know how to put your, how to explain, right? The psalmist says, my tears have been my food. How many of you ever felt that before? Where you've been crying so much that all you can taste is the saltiness from your tears. Or you're literally just eating your own tears through through your sadness. How many of you ever felt overwhelmed? You know, later on in the, in the psalm, it, he says, I feel like waves are sweeping over me, right? We, we often say in our, in our lingo, I can barely keep my head above water, right? Well, so did the people writing the Bible have those experiences as well, feeling overwhelmed. How many of you have ever felt forgotten? In Psalm 42, he actually looks up to God and says, why have you forgotten me? You're, you're allowed to say those things to God sometimes. The psalmist says it. Why have you forgotten me, God? How many of you perhaps even feel like you've got enemies in your life? The psalmist acknowledges that there's other people in his life that are taunting him. He says, my foes taunt me. There are people in my life wanting me to fail, wanting me to experience a downfall, right? There are enemies that are wanting what I'm going through to ultimately lead to my destruction, but did you notice that we ended on this verse at Psalm 5? Did you notice that in the midst of all of the stuff that he's wrestling with, the psalmist, the author starts to preach to himself. Did you, did you hear it? Or herself? We don't know. Here's what they say, Psalm 42, 5. What do they say? They say, put your hope in God. They're talking to themselves here. They're saying, why, why are you, soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. And it raises a question, where does the psalmist find the strength to put their hope in God? Where does that come from? For them to just be able to say, you know, put your hope in God, right? You can almost imagine somebody just being like, I can do it, I can do it, right? Put my hope in God. But where does that come from, that strength to be able to put their hope in God? Well, we're going to actually take a look at the beauty and simplicity of Psalm 42 here for a second. And you're going to see that the structure of Psalm 42 actually gives us the answer to that question. Where do we find the strength to put our hope in God? You're going to see it in the way that the structure of Psalm 42 is, is, is designed. We actually find a hint as to where we find the strength to put our hope in God. How we find hope. The, and here's the structure. The beginning verses of Psalm 42 start off with this. Start off with the psalmist saying, 
Here's my current condition. We're going to pause for just a second. Don't worry, everybody. Alan, the superhero Alan, is off to the rescue to rescue the kids from the back. Parents, if any of you care enough, you're welcome to go downstairs as well. If you're worried about your kids or if you think they can just live with it, you're welcome to stay up here the rest of the sermon. (laughs) But we will trust that the bat that is flying around downstairs will be okay. So once we... Now, once you hear what I'm going to talk about, you're going to see how the kids are going to have to go through this themselves when they experience what it means to have to put their hope in God regarding the bat that's flying around downstairs. All righty? All right. You guys guys ready? All right. The beginning of Psalm 42 starts off with this, acknowledging your current condition. This is what's going on in my life. There's a bat flying around me, right? This is the situation that I'm dealing with. So the psalmist starts these ver- the, the psalm out with acknowledging this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. They are aware enough about what's going on inside them to acknowledge what it is that they're wrestling with. When can I go and meet with my God? My tears have been my food. My soul thirsts for the living God. They acknowledge their current condition. They know what they're going through. In their present situation. Day and night, people say to me all day long, where is your God, right? They are aware of what's going on. There's no denial here, right? They're not, they're not oh, you know, yeah, things are really tough, but I know that, you know, it's just, it's all in my head. Right? No, it, life is hard right now. They're just getting it all out there. There's no sugarcoating here. There's no excuses. But notice, too, there's also no beating themselves up for feeling that way either. <laughs> they're just admitting what's going on without judgment, and they just own it. And they acknowledge their current situation, and they're giving it to who? To God. It starts there. If you want to find hope, it starts with acknowledging your current condition. But then we move on, and we see the psalmist do this. They look backwards. Look at this. These things, this is what he says next, these things I remembered. You see that in the next verse? These things I remember. We are looking backwards to something that happened in the past. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. This is interesting. We acknowledge the current situation, but then what happens next is a looking backwards to the past, remembering a time when God's presence was so real and tangible, and it filled you with joy and thanksgiving, and I was in the presence of God, in the house of God. In the context, this would be the psalmist remembering times when he'd gone to the temple to worship God, and God was so mightily present in my life. Can you remember times in your life when you strongly and joyfully knew that God's presence was with you, look backwards to those times, which then leads us into the next phase where we make, the psalmist makes a declaration for the future. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will for future looking. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You guys see that progression? It's acknowledging the present, 
which then goes looking backwards to the past, that the psalmist then looks forward with hope. Now we're going to come back to this pattern again, this, this present, past, and then future pattern. But first, before we even dive into this, you know, how we do this in our own lives, let's ask this question. What is hope, anyway? If that's what we're looking for, is hope, what is hope? What do we mean when we use that word hope? You know, in English, whenever we use that word hope, many times we just sort of use it as a synonym for, you know, a wish or a desire or a dream, right, for something that we want to happen. So maybe, maybe you know, you say, oh, I, you know, I hope dad gets home early for work, right? We're, we're just hoping that something will take place in the future, or I hope the Steelers win today, right? We're, we're, we're wishing that that's what will happen in the future. Some of you who are business people, perhaps you've said this before, our only hope for a good quarter is if we have a good sales, right? You know, you're recognizing that this desire for something in the future is dependent on good sales. You're hoping for something in the future. Now, nothing is wrong with, with those uses of the word hope, especially here in, in English. It's just the way that we tend to use the word. But when we use the word hope for, you know, in, in those examples, we are usually using that word hope as an expression of uncertainty, right? Think about it. All, in all of those examples, we are uncertain if that thing will occur, and therefore we're saying we hope that they do occur. We're uncertain whether dad will get home early. We're uncertain whether the Steelers will win. We are uncertain whether or not we're going to have a good sales quarter. And so we're, we're using the word hope as a synonym for something that we, we want to happen. We wish it will happen, even though we don't, we don't know if it will. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the uncertainty of our futures. But when we start looking at what is hope from a biblical perspective, biblically, what is hope? Biblically, hope is not based on uncertainty. Biblically, when we use the word hope, it's not based on uncertainty. Biblically, hope is a confident expectation for something in the future to happen. It's this confidence this, this complete sense of expectation that this thing will occur. And I'm hoping for that thing through Christ. Now, this goes way beyond, biblically, this goes beyond you know, wishful thinking when we think of the word hope. To say confident expectation, according to the Bible, means that hope is actually rooted in the promises of God. When we hope for something in the future, we are putting our hope based on the promises that God has made. And so we're hoping that God's promises will come true. And we, if we trust that who God is, is is true, then our hope is rooted on a confident expectation. Not this wishful thinking that, oh, I, you know, it's not this wishful wondering, well, will God fulfill his promises? No, it's this hope that God will fulfill his promises, and I have hope that he will. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will work for good in the future. Not that God might work for good but that God will work for good. That no matter what might be going on in my life right now, I can look to the future with hope because I am confident that God will work all things for good. I am confident that Jesus is coming back someday. I am confident that God loves me no matter what, and therefore I have hope. The lesson from Psalm 42 is that sometimes putting our hope in God requires going through a process. Sometimes it begins by acknowledging your current situation. Many times we, not, we don't even get to that first step. We deny it. We ignore it. We brush it under the rug. We just say everything's okay. Many times we don't even start the process that the Bible gives to us through these prayers. 
We just pretend that everything's going on. It's just, it's just all fine, hunky-dory. We'll figure it out on our own strength and power. Sometimes seeking hope requires a process, and it starts with looking at our current situation, acknowledging what they are, looking backwards to God's faithfulness in the past, the places where we've seen God's promises made and God's promises fulfilled in our lives previously, and which then reminds us that we look forwards with hope, with confident expectation that God will work for good. Do you hear me? Now, as we're processing that process from Psalm 42, next we're going to take a look at an example from the Bible of somebody doing this very thing in a bit of a unique situation. We're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul, a man who had experienced plenty of Psalm 42 moments, if you will, in his life. Those of you who know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, you know that when he first became a Christian, you know what people immediately wanted to do when he became a Christian? Kill him. That was their first reaction. Hey, I found Jesus. We want you dead now. He ultimately became a church planter and a missionary, and he started to plant new churches all around the Roman Empire. And every time he did, he faced conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict. The threat of persecution was almost around every single corner. Everywhere he went, there was somebody who wanted his life. And there were, you know, many times, both of, their en- both of his enemies on either side who hated one another, they both wanted Paul dead. So they had that in common. There's a hint in some of his letters that the Apostle Paul may have had a major nervous breakdown at one point in his life. Oh, and by the way, he was arrested and imprisoned multiple times. Half of the letters that he wrote that we have in the Bible, he wrote with chains around his ankles from a dirt floor in a prison cell, including the one that we're going to take a look at. It's the letter to the Colossians, and you heard Lori read the opening passages from Colossians earlier during our time of worship. And we're going to take a look at actually the the very next uh, part from what she read, Colossians 1. And so if you're taking a look in your Bibles, I want you to flip to Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote from prison. As we hear what he has to say, beginning with verse 24, chapter 124, Paul writes this. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end... I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Paul writes to the Colossians there in that very first line there, verse 24, he says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Notice, even though he says he's rejoicing, he admits what's going on, right? I'm suffering. I am suffering right now. He acknowledges his current condition. Now, Paul, and this is a you know, separate topic, Paul understands that suffering is something that Christians will experience. So don't be surprised when in this world you will have trouble. It's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Suffering is a part of the Christian, Christian theology. But why is Paul able to say, I rejoice 
in what I am suffering. He acknowledges that he is suffering, but what is it that leads him to be able to say, I rejoice in my suffering? Well, it's because of what he says in the very next verse, in verse 25. In the very next verse, in verse 25, he says, I have become the church's servant by the commission of God, which God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I have become the church's servant by the commission of God. Do you see what Paul is doing in this verse? Paul is looking backwards. He's looking backwards to what God had done for him in the past. He's looking backwards to the faithfulness of God when God commissioned him with a purpose. When God gave him a job to do, if you will. He's looking backwards to a very specific time in his life when God placed a call upon his life, commissioning him to go and be a servant to the Gentiles to proclaim the word of God to them all around the Roman Empire. Paul is saying, I remember back in the past that God gave me this job to do. I was commissioned and sent by God to serve the church by spreading the word of God and specifically to spread it among the Gentiles in all its fullness. Paul acknowledges that his current condition is marked by suffering, but he looks backwards to the commission that God had given him in the past to spread the word. And that, that past commissioning in his life becomes a source today for hope in the future. And it's a hope that he tells the Colossians that he wants them to know as well. See what he says in verse 27. After he's looked backwards to his commission, he looks forwards in verse 27 to them. He's talking about the Gentiles. To them, God's chosen me to make among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's telling the Colossians, I want you to have the same hope in the future of Christ that I have. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Right? Do you hear it? This future-oriented hope that I'm going to keep doing this no matter what because I've looked backwards to what God has done for me in the past, knowing, which tells me I know I can do this in the future by having hope in Christ. He wants the Colossians to have the same hope of glory that he has. And the hope of glory, if we really, if we really dive into this, the hope of glory is that we are in Christ. That we... That Christ is in you. Do you see how he says it up there? That we are in Christ. That is the hope of glory. That there is nothing that can separate us from God through Jesus Christ our Lord because we are in Christ. It's this confident expectation that, that Paul knows that God will work all things for good for those who are in Christ. Paul is confident that in his future, God will not leave him. God will not abandon him even at the bottom of a prison cell. And he wants the Colossians to know this too. Christ is in you, Colossians. Christ is in you. And he will work for good in your life. You are safe and you are secure no matter what because you are in Christ. You too can have this Christ. Christ becomes the bedrock of our hope. Because we are in Christ, we have this hope of glory. Paul's hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When you have this hope... You have this confident expectation of God's faithfulness and his, and his promises that will be fulfilled in, the, in your future. And that gives you the strength to get through the hard stuff today. That's what gives you the strength that even when life is spiritually dry, when your tears have been your food all day long, when you're feeling overwhelmed and, and exhausted, that's what gives you the strength to say, put, I can put my hope in God. 
It gives you the strength to endure the, the hard stuff. You know, it's been, said, it's been said before that if you can see the obstacles, you've taken your eye off the goal. When you put your hope in Christ, it trains us to keep our eyes focused on the future goal. When you are in Christ, you have your eyes set on the hope of glory. The hope of glory offered to us in the future. No matter what the future holds. There's this story of a, of a little boy who was, once, uh, who was once in the hospital for a serious illness. And he got to that point in, in this illness that many people sometimes get to where he had lost all hope. And he just sort of decided, you know, he's just there existing in the hospital. The doctors and the nurses were very concerned about his morale, knowing that this might not be, uh, this not, if he continues in this, this not, might not be able to be something he can recover from. But then one day, he gets a visit. He gets a visit from his English teacher at school. His English teacher comes into the hospital to visit him, and, you know, it was, it's not even because she wanted to come and say hello. It was because she wanted to make sure that he didn't miss out on his lessons learning about nouns and adverbs, okay? And so he goes through this lesson with his teacher learning about nouns and adverbs, and then the next day, the boy's attitude totally changes. The nurses and the doctors realize that he's suddenly trying to fight back, and he's working on trying to get well again. And the nurses come to the boy, and they say, what changed, right? What did that teacher say to you that suddenly has, you know, made your attitude change? And the boy looked thought for a minute, and he looked back at the nurses, and he said, well, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs for a boy who's just going to die, would they? The, the boy had found hope. He had discovered this confident expectation of God's faithfulness through the unglamorous task of English grammar. He realized that if this was something that they were talking about, I can look forward with hope. He looked backwards to God's call in his life. He probably didn't think of it this way, but in the story, he looked backwards to the call in his life as a student, realizing that if this is something that I'm called to do, then I can look forward into the future. You know, many times when we are searching for hope, we have to find the small, unglamorous things in our lives that God has called us to do in the past. We have to look backwards to the moments when God has called us to do something in the past to give us hope to fulfill whatever the, 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 the task might be for us in the future. Hope keeps you serving in the difficult and unglamorous work. In my previous church, uh, the, the, the ministry that we worked at was actually located in this little storefront, right? This little storefront in this tiny little main, main street in, the, in a town right outside of Pittsburgh. And, and we had two long sidewalks on either side of that storefront that we had to keep clear in the wintertime. We were responsible for clearing the snow. Well, there's a man in, our, in the church, his name was Gary, who one, one day he come, came to me and he said, you know, he really felt like God was calling him to be the one to be in charge of clearing the snow. And I said, wonderful, thank you. That means I don't have to do it. So he took upon that responsibility of shoveling the snow whenever there was a, a, whenever there was a, a storm. Well, one night this huge, nasty snowstorm hits Pittsburgh. And it was so bad I decided to just walk to to the, to the ministry that day rather than um, driving because it would, have, it would take less time for me to walk than it would to dig out my car. You guys know that experience with snow, right? So I walk there, and when I get there, Gary's already there shoveling the sidewalk. He'd been there for a few hours just shoveling as hard as he could to clear the snow. He's sweating profusely because he'd been working so hard, so he was only in his T-shirt, even though it's like, you know, 20-something degrees outside. He's just out there because he's so hot from shoveling all this snow. And I look at him struggling and shoveling, and I just say, Gary, now thank you so much for doing this for me. 
And he looks at me with a smile on his face, and he says, I ain't doing it for you. <laughs> I said, what? And he says, I'm doing it because God called me to do it. Now, he didn't know it at the time, but he just expressed hope. Because he had looked backwards at the call that God had placed upon his life, which gave him the hope to be able to look forwards to fulfill the call that God had placed upon him. He didn't see the job as unpleasant because he kept his eye on the future calling of fulfilling the hope, or excuse me, fulfilling the task that God had called him to do on his life. He had hope. Paul served God's church through spreading the word of God, and he had to look backwards to that call to get him through the hard stuff. That little boy served God through being a student, and he had to look back to that call of being a student of nouns and adverbs to get him through the hard stuff. Gary served God's church through shoveling sidewalks, and he had to look backward to that call to get him through the hard work before him. Looking backwards to an experience of God instilled in them a future hope that God would call them to do something in the future, whether they're inside a prison cell, whether they were in a hospital bed or whether they were in the middle of a snowstorm. When you need hope for the future, ask yourself, where have I seen God's faithfulness in my life in the past? Where have I sensed God's call on my life in the past? It's what the psalmist did. It's what Paul did. And even though he didn't know it, that's what Gary was doing too. Now, by the way, while you are reflecting about that in your own life, Where can I find hope in my own life? Where do I look backwards to see and experience God's presence and God's promises in my own life when I'm struggling and need hope to get me through? I want to challenge you to see that this is not only about you. Sorry to break it to you. But you are not the only person who needs hope. Because stop and realize that there are people all around your life that also need hope as well. And your actions and your decisions impact how others will also find hope. So, for example, on Sunday mornings when some of you choose to serve, you are giving another person an experience and an opportunity to to enter into God's faithfulness where they might one day look back at the time when they experienced your presence in their life as a place where they experienced God's presence and faithfulness in their life. You are giving that person a chance to look backwards to that moment where they might need to find hope in the future. Last, many of you who have experienced baptisms, we celebrated baptisms just this last Sunday. There will be a time when you need to look backwards and you remember that moment of baptism in your life to look forwards. And many of you who served the church helped create the experience for somebody to look backwards and find an example of God's presence and faithfulness and call on their lives. For those of you who serve and help us set up Holy Communion, you are giving people an opportunity and experience to enter into the presence of God and receive the bread and the cup and know that God is with them. And they will look back at that time and say, God is with me. I can can find a a trust, a hope in God. For those of you that are serving in the nursery and kids ministry and, and, and removing bats from the church, you are giving people an experience of looking backwards to a time when that something happened at church and they remember I, can, I remember when God was present in my life through that moment because of your faithfulness and your servants. When you are greeting on Sunday, when you're bringing in cookies for, or making the coffee, when you're clearing the snow out front, you are creating experiences and opportunity for other people to have an experience of God that they will look back to someday. They will look back to that moment and say, that was a place that I had experienced the presence and the love of God. 
and therefore I can put my hope in God for the future. I ask permission to share this next story. But many of you are familiar with the young man, McCaden, who's been a part of this congregation for almost a year now. He was baptized right here in this church last October. Well, for the last few months, for those of you who are curious, McCaden has been in the hospital and in a living facility as he's been wrestling with various mental health struggles. I talked to him last week on the phone, and as we were just checking in with what, uh, I was checking in with him and uh, with how he was doing, and I asked him this question. I just said, you know, McCaden, what do you do when you need hope? And here's what he said. He said, I remember my church family. He said, I look backwards to remember the relationships. I'm reading right now what I wrote down. I look backwards to remember the relationships of love and support I found from all of you. It's amazing. It's, it was the amazing thing that God did for me. It made my heart happy. It's hard to explain. But I look back and I remember the day that I was outside crying and Juan, Juan Macias, came up to me and said, Hey, man, are you okay? <laughs> and it reminds me that God is there. When you are serving God, you are giving people opportunities and experiences to look back to where God is present in their lives so that they can look forward with hope when life is so uncertain. Our hope is not based on uncertainty. It is based on the confident expectation that God will work all things for good. And if you are in Christ, you have the hope of glory. You have the hope that you are a part of an eternal kingdom that will never fail. May you serve God and use your gifts so that you can look backwards to God's promises and call on your life. And therefore, look forwards to the glorious hope of being in Christ, both now and for all eternity. Amen.